Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I think analyzing at least one property a day kind of gives them an idea of what the current market is like, where they're wanting to invest, what the properties are like, and just kind of get some used to it and more comfortable. And I would say start placing offers. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Alanis. How you doing, Alanis Camargo? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Alanis. She works full-time as a digital marketing professional in healthcare. Her portfolio consists of five rental properties, all acquired sight unseen and from out of state, from Brooklyn, New York. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Thanks again for having me. So I'm originally from Miami, Florida. My husband and I moved to Brooklyn, New York four years ago. And after realizing how expensive it was to buy an apartment that we wouldn't really love in Brooklyn, New York, we decided to invest in Florida and narrow down the market to Jacksonville, Florida. So like you said, we've had five properties sight unseen. We focus on buy and hold investments. So most of our properties are rehab and we add value by rehabbing the properties. And then we've also been helping other investors acquire properties in Jacksonville since I'm licensed in Florida. Okay. So a lot to unpack there. And when I was reading your bio, it reminded me of what I was doing when I was living in New York. I bought four single family homes, all sight unseen in Texas. <laughs> so I can certainly relate to your story, even though you bought five and I only bought four that way. So let's talk about your approach, because one thing that I know I wasn't doing is I was not rehabbing properties except for one, and it was a disaster, one of the homes. So talk to us about a specific deal and how you manage the rehab process and just from start to finish. Sure. So I'll go into our first one. That one, we acquired it with an inherited tenant. And at the beginning, this was our first rental. This was February 2018. At the beginning, we thought we had a great tenant. She was communicating great and paying on time. A few months in, she started having personal issues, started paying late, and eventually she pretty much disappeared. I couldn't reach out to her by phone, email, text, tried everything, and she wouldn't answer. So we posted a three-day pay or vacate notice. Eventually, once we started the eviction process, she emailed me saying that she had abandoned the property and that we can keep her security deposit. So as a new investor at that time, five months in, to have our tenant abandoned, it was mm. a huge deal for us. So right out of the gate. We Right, exactly. Most people, it takes time, but with us, it was right off the bat. So luckily I had met a contractor online and I had started talking to him and he really was the one that helped me a lot throughout this process. So we didn't even have keys to the property that worked. He ended up climbing through a window and getting it, taking pictures. And my husband and I wanted to fly down there and get things fixed, but the reality was it would have cost us more money to fly down there and get a hotel and all of that stuff versus just having him fix it. So he sent us pictures and we made a list of the things we wanted to get done. She left the place a huge disaster, as you can of imagine. Yep. A lot of personal belongings, everything needed to be taken out. So we made a list. Our contractor gave us pricing, started working on things and a few problems came up along the way. Like he noticed that the bathtub had some sort of water in between when he stepped in it. And it ended up being that it had a bath fitter that was installed correctly over the bathtub. So he ended up ripping that out, refinishing the bathtub. We did new flooring. We tore down some walls, cleaned up the place, and reglazed the bathroom tiles just to make them look new. Painted the outside, just made it like a, a fresher look. 
And then after that, I had already started interviewing listing agents as well. So I was kind of working ahead of myself a little bit. We didn't have a team in place ahead of time. We only had our realtor. That was pretty much it. And we quickly got the property listed after the contractor finished the rehab. We spent around $8,000 on the rehab. So it wasn't too bad considering all the work we did. And our listing agent got someone in there in about three to four weeks. And we raised the rental value by 43%. So it was originally being rented for $1,050 and we raised it to $1,200. And that was almost two years ago. So now it's being rented for $1,250 with another set of new tenants that we got in there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's surprising to me that you only invested $8,000 to get all that work done. Seems like that was a pretty good deal for you. It was. We did vinyl flooring and he got it on special. The house was around 1,300 square feet. I think the flooring was most of it around $4,500 if I remember correctly and painted all of the insides. I mean, he did a lot of work for that amount of money for sure. Mm -hmm. And just so I heard you correctly, because I heard you raised it by 43%, but then I think I heard the numbers and for some reason it's not jiving for me, but maybe I'm misthinking it. So you said you raised the rent from $1,050 to $1,200. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So you raised it 150 bucks. Yes. Got it. Okay. And I think I heard that you say that you met the contractor online. Did I hear you correctly? Yes, I did. Okay. So I met him through, yes, I met him through a, a real estate. I ran him through a real estate forum. He Bigger was one Pockets? of the first contacts. Yes. Through Bigger Pockets. He okay. was the first contact that we made on Bigger Pockets. And just luckily he just happened to add me as a connection. I reached out to him seeing that he was a contractor and we started talking on the phone and he was an investor as well. And I just kind of wanted to start the conversation just in case this tenant ended up moving out. We knew that the property needed work. So the connection started from there and he's helped us a lot on many of our properties. Hmm. You know, one of the benefits of meeting people through bigger pockets is there's social accountability. So if you had met a person on Craigslist or even through a referral because I think the contractor might not be as concerned about burning a bridge with one person, but if they are concerned about you lighting fire to the reputation on an online form like Bigger Pockets, that's a whole nother issue. And that's why Bigger right. Pockets is such a great tool for investors. Definitely. And it was a huge trusting experience because I had just met him two months before and here he was climbing through a window in my house. <laughs> And fixing things for me. So it was a, a pretty big deal. <laughs> How'd you meet the listing agent? The listing agent was one of my sister's best friends at the time. Okay. And she was in real estate for a few years. Oh, sorry. That was the realtor. She gave us the contact for our listing agent okay. that we used at the time. What'd you buy the property for? That one was 90500 Nine. And it appraised instantly for, I think it was 108000 when we bought it. And then a few months later, we did a home equity line of credit on it, and mm-hmm. it appraised for 118 at the time. So that was November 2018. I'm assuming now it should be a little higher than that. Mm-hmm. So you had 98,500 all in to the property, which is 1.2% of rent to all in ratio, which is great. Everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people say you got to at least beat the 1% rule. The and, 1%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or 1.2%. We usually do with all of our properties, except one where we purchased it with the intent of rehabbing it in the future. So this other deal, 
we bought it for 123,000. It had tenants in there that have been in there for 12 years. So we were pretty certain they wouldn't be leaving anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And the ARV for that one is 190,000 or more, but it needs a complete renovation inside your kitchen, your bathroom, everything. So down the line, when we're ready, we'll give the tenants sufficient time to move out, rehab it, and then either sell it for a profit or maybe cash out, refi it. What would it cost approximately to get it to that level? That one should be like twenty five or thirty thousand. Okay. So all in one fifty, one fifty five ish with a ARV around one ninety. One ninety, right. Okay. And what's it rent for now? That one, it's renting for eleven hundred, so that's the only one that doesn't meet the one percent right. rule. And that's because they never had their rent raised in twelve years that they were living there. And what are your thoughts on that? So you inherited tenants who had been there 12 years. They haven't had their rent raised. And now new owner comes in. How do you approach it? Right. That one was a little bit of a difficult situation. They didn't leave a security deposit. We knew that they didn't have enough money to leave a security deposit or have their rent raised significantly. They were on disability. So we raised it very, very little, $5. Originally, it was 1095 was the rent. So we raised it to 1100 right off the bat, just to kind of start the idea of we're going to be raising rents every year. Mm-hmm. And then this past year, I think we raised it another five. I mean, it's, it's very little, but just to get a little bit more income coming in, probably next year, we'll raise it a more significant amount if we're not already rehabbing it. But it was difficult to speak with them. They were very skeptical. The property has passed through different owners over time. And the previous owners, as with all of our other inherited tenants, we've had three, they don't take care of their tenants. And when we come in, they immediately have a list of things that are broken (laughs) or need fixing. So with this property, they actually didn't have hot water for a month. And as soon as I introduced myself, they told me that and we had it fixed within an hour. It was something really easy to fix. So we take pride in making sure our tenants are good, living in a clean home and with things that are functioning. And I think that built a lot of rapport with them where they trust us now and they know that we're not just going to throw the property away or just not keep it maintained. Wouldn't that come up in a inspection report? That's really interesting. Yeah, it didn't come up on that. I never (laughs) even thought of that. (laughs) But it did not come up on the inspection report. So that was one house, 123 purchase price. The other was 90500 How are you financing these and where are you getting the equity? Is it from a, your W-2 job? So you're taking money that you're earning from your W-2 job and you're buying these single family home investment properties. With conventional financing. So we've usually put down 20% on that 123000 deal. We put down 15% and are paying PMI. The numbers just made more sense when we did them. But yes, pretty much our jobs fund our investments at the moment. Eventually, we'll want to get into flips and get into doing more kind of cash out refinance deals so that we can continue to invest more without taking time to save up the money. How have you improved your process? And that's pretty broad. I understand that and I'm doing that intentionally from your first purchase to the fifth purchase. Great question. So my husband built originally a model that we use to analyze deals. So that's been improved over time. And our process now is we get MLS listings. We also get wholesale deals and we look through those every day. The ones that look more promising, we put them on a list and then we look at those together versus before 
we didn't write anything down. It was just, oh, look, this house looks good. Let's send it to our agent and see if we can get more information on it. And it was just kind of like one shot here, one shot there. Now it's like we have a list of properties that we're looking at and writing down notes. We keep track of them if any price drops or price changes so that we can see that the seller is more motivated if they're dropping the price. So we have more of a system in place now. We also use other tools versus at the beginning, we're really using any tools to like what? track anything. We use Cozy for payments and for property management repairs. And then we use Stessa for our expenses and keeping track of value accounting. Oh, cool. I'm very familiar with both those companies. The challenge that you might have come across is the renovation part and overseeing renovations, even though it sounds like you hit a home run with the contractor, but you're still in Brooklyn, there in Jacksonville. How do you oversee that renovation process? And the reason why I ask that is one, for obvious reasons, but two, I mentioned that I bought four single family homes while living in New York City, sight unseen. And the fourth one was more of a renovation project. And it was a disaster because the renovation team was not doing what they said they were going to do. They didn't have much work. So they were all on the job for a very long period of time, just kind of hanging out, milking the clock. And my sister happened to drive by and see them. And she's like, Joe, how do you keep track of them? Like, I don't really have a process. So can you talk about your process? Sure. I have two contractors that I use at the moment and we've done three renovations. And now we're about to do the biggest one for another investor that just purchased three multifamilies and he's rehabbing three out of the seven units next month. So it's more than just that one that I got lucky with. We have another one now. And there was one that we got rid of throughout the process, but it's also about not paying them in advance. So with one of them, I do pay materials in advance because I guess he doesn't have the bandwidth to do the renovation without the materials. And then we pay the job when it's done. And the same with the original contractor. We actually didn't pay him anything up front. So they're more motivated to get the job done. And if it is a bigger job, like the ones that they're doing next month, we'll do payments over time, probably maybe two payments. But the key is just making sure that they finish it as quickly as possible, staying on top of them. I'm in constant communication with them during a rehab pretty much every day. And my job is flexible enough where I can take calls and get on video chats with them or see pictures and go back and forth. And then I also try to save money by ordering some materials myself online and having them pick up the materials. So it's pretty much a joint effort to get the rehabs done and get them done quickly so that they can get paid quickly and we can get the property rented out. What deal, if any, have you lost money on? If you consider the money we've put into all of them, we're still haven't broken even on any of the properties, but it's a long-term play for yeah, us. So, right. Because um, you haven't sold anything. Yeah. We haven't sold anything. Okay. That makes sense. What deal is the most profitable so far? I guess it's a poorly worded question considering your previous answer. So what deal has generated the most cash flow as a result of the income minus expenses to date? Sure. I would say most likely our fourth property that we purchased with a partner of ours. And that one didn't need a rehab or anything. We just put in probably like around $1,000 getting it cleaned up and painted. And then we had tenants in there within two weeks that have been paying on time every month. So I would say that when we put the least amount of money in there, we put 30%, our partner put in 70%, mm -hmm. and then we split everything down the road 50-50. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had to 
obviously do any renovations or get many things fixed. So I would say that one's the highest right now. How does the loan approval process work with a partner? It's a little trickier because usually all loans are set for two people, usually a married couple. So having a third person involved, it required having additional forms and making sure that he was on all the paperwork. And we all have umbrella policies since we're buying these under our personal names with conventional loans. So he had an issue with his umbrella policy where he needed to be the first person on the homeowner's insurance. So everything is set for two people. And here we were trying to do things with three people. Mm. So we had a situation where we had to cancel our existing homeowner's insurance policy and rewrite it with him as the first person on the loan. And I think I was the second person and my husband wasn't even listed on the homeowner's insurance, sorry. And he was able to get his umbrella policy. So it was a little tricky, things like that. And we are planning on purchasing more properties. We'll most likely just put his name and either mine or my husband's name on it and not do it with three people again. Okay. Yeah. What lender do you use to get that type of transaction done? This last time we used Carrington and I pretty much followed my loan officer. We used a company called Ditech and they ended up filing for chapter 11. Uh, So that's why we've got (laughs) such great deals at the beginning (laughs) with our points and with fees and things like that. So he went to Carrington and we ended up following him there and he tried to match the same rates he was giving us before. But with Ditech, we were able to get origination fees waived, very low points and things like that, just because they knew they were filing for chapter 11 down the road. Hmm. The inner workings of corporate America. (laughs) I know. It was interesting. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. Well, so the fourth property has brought the most cash flow for multiple reasons, it seems like. One is there was no rehab or little rehab up to $1,000. Two is you have less money in, but you're getting a disproportionate amount of profits based off of your expertise and the work that you're doing, correct? Correct. Our investor is completely passive. He trusts us to do all the work. I manage the property, obviously, without charging the partnership any additional money. And he put in more money at the beginning of the deal. So it works out really nicely for us. And I think down the road, we'll we'll be able to acquire more properties with him than if we were just on our own, trying to save up all the money. For someone looking to buy single family homes as investment properties, who's listening to this, but has not purchased their first one yet, what's an activity that you recommend they take on in order to eventually purchase that property? I would say at least analyze one property a day. I think a lot of new investors get hung up on trying to learn everything or build their entire team before investing in their first property. And, you know, in our experience, it wasn't necessary to do that. We built our team over time. But I think analyzing at least one property a day kind of gives them an idea of what the current market is like, where they're wanting to invest, what the properties are like, and just kind of get some used to it and more comfortable. And I would say start placing offers. I know it, it seems scary for a new investor, but it's free to place an offer. They can back out at any time. And then it most likely wouldn't get accepted on the first shot anyways. We've never had an offer accepted on the first shot. So it just gets them more comfortable with the activity of going through with a deal versus just sitting on the sidelines and trying to learn. And now based on your experience as a real estate investor, and this doesn't have to be directed towards first timers, just overall based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Wow, that's a good question. I would say don't be scared to put in lower offers. So that's something that other people have asked. How much lower can they put an offer in for? 
And since I'm working with multiple investors as well, they're scared to lose a deal by putting in too low of an offer. But I feel like you need to put in the offer that makes sense for you and not fall in love with a property and get it just because you want another property. It has to make sense for you and don't be afraid to put in a lower offer than what it's listed for. Can you give us a specific example of what a property was listed for and what you offered and the result of that? Sure. Our latest purchase was listed for 222000 and we originally offered 170, so it was much lower than the listing price. And we ended up settling at 195. And we went back and forth a few times. Our best and final was 200, and they came back at their best and final was 210. So after we told them we can't go up to 210, they waited a few days and then they came back to us and said, okay, we'll take your 200,000 deal. And at the time, we wanted to delay the closing a little bit because of our job situation. Mm -hmm. I was switching jobs and I wanted to make sure that that was secure beforehand. So I asked them for a 90-day close and the $200,000 price and they agreed to that. And then eventually down the road during the inspection, we realized there was foundation issues and also the appraisal came in lower at 195. So they agreed to the 195 price. We closed 30 days sooner than originally asked for. And they paid the $5,000 foundation repairs. They put that in escrow for us. Hmm. So we ended up with a much lower price. But all of our properties, we've acquired them at least 10000 below what it was listed at. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you recognize this company. Well, that's because David was a best ever guest on the show is episode 122, David Campbell. And you can email him at david at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell. Best ever resource that you use in your business? I would say people. I talk to a lot of people. I learn from a lot of people and teach people as well. So I would say this is a people business and it's really important to learn from each other and help each other out. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I would say the same way. I talk to a lot of new investors. I write a lot of content, a lot of blogs, and I have a newsletter. So I like to give back to the real estate community by writing the knowledge that I've acquired over the past few years. And then a lot of new investors reach out to me and ask me questions and I pretty much give them my time just as giving back as I would have wanted something, someone to do for me when I was starting out. And on that note, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and read that content? Sure. So they can sign up to our newsletter on our website, which is thirdstoneproperties.com. And they can also follow me on Instagram at investor EMC. And I post on there regularly and share our content on there as well. Thanks for talking about how you've built your portfolio remotely, sight unseen, and how you have built your team on the ground to help you execute on those projects. And then how you've got creative 
with a business partner to continue to grow the portfolio. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best Thank you so much. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It was great being on.